to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and just a couple shout outs to our listeners and viewers on the radio station, as well as Emily's YouTube channel and BC TV here in Brattleboro. And I also want to say hello to any folks who might be watching us on uh, Vermont Community Television in Burlington, they have a new HD cable station, Comcast 1070, so you can find us there as well, at least for now. They haven't gotten sick of us yet. They're still putting us on the channel. We, we shall see. Um, and also, just a note for listeners, to this radio show will probably air on January 1st, but we are pre-recording it on the 18th, so just keep that in mind as we go forward with the conversation as things may change out there in the real world. I want to welcome to the show Representative Emily Kornheiser, who's one of three representatives, to Brattleboro, to the state legislature. Hey, Emily. Good morning, Olga. And... Emily Long, also from the Wyndham County delegation. She is in Newfane, and she is the newly elected House Majority Leader um, for for the legislature. So happy for you, Emily. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Olga and Emily. Nice to see you both. It's good to see. I know. It's so nice to see faces these days. And hello, um, Jill Krowinski who is the speaker-elect for the legislature and also a representative out of Burlington. It's really nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Olga. It's nice to see you, and it's nice to be here with both of you, Emily and Emily. Yeah, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to oh, navigate yeah. that a little bit. <laughs> we're pretty used to it at this point. We are very <laughs> Well, I am excited to have all three of you here because, of course, we are going into a new biennium which for those who may not realize, Vermont goes on a two-year legislative cycle. They call it the biennium. And this is an interesting uh, biennium to me because on one hand, there's a lot of new things happening. We have some new leadership. Uh, Senator Becca Ballant is the new pro tem in the Senate. Very exciting. And yet we are still in the pandemic, vaccine aside. And so it feels like New and nothing has changed at the same time. <laughs> well said, Olga. <laughs> so I would love to start with you, Jill, and just touch base. You know, you're stepping into this new role. What right now is kind of on your plate for for the direction of the the house? Well, that's a great question. Uh, yesterday, we had a house rules meeting to work on and organize what it looks like when we come back in January. Uh, the first day of the legislative session is January 6th. And uh, given the current uptick in COVID cases and the tragic events that have happened in New Hampshire with um, the New Hampshire Speaker of the House um, passing away from COVID, uh, it was critical for us that we do everything we can to put public health and safety first. So. The other twist in you know, us coming together in January is that we will start the legislative session remotely um, and stay uh, working remotely through a town meeting week. 
then we will reassess if we uh, can come back in some sort of hybrid model or if we need to stay remote. Uh, and that's very different. Um, it's going to be a historic session, um, starting with uh, a, new, a new legislature, new committees, uh, and new leadership. So I am, I'm really proud of the team that we have pulled together. And I think that um, all leadership in all caucuses are really stepping up uh, to this challenge. So I'm really proud about that. And in these next several weeks, we will be preparing for that session. So I'm working on pulling committee assignments together, uh, working on pulling our agenda together and really monitoring the, 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 this pandemic and wanting to make sure that when we hit the ground running in January, that we're creating a recovery plan that leaves no one behind. Uh, and so that's, that's my focus and my work right now. Thank you, Jill. How about for you, Emily Long? Mute, mute. Um, so I, I, I couldn't agree with everything Jill said more. And, and it just, for, for me, I, I'm on house rules as well. And um, the decisions we made yesterday were pretty significant for us as a caucus and um, as a body. And, and frankly, as Vermonters, it, it's a, it's a, it, while I think we did an amazing job in the, uh, from March uh was it 13th was the last day we were actually mm -hmm. in the building. From that moment on, I think we did an amazing job as a general assembly trying to include everybody as best we could and shift things from where we were to this whole new world. It's still a challenge um, to be able to, to operate as efficiently and effectively as we can remotely. So now we have a lot of new members and as Jill, Jill mentioned, we have um, new leadership as well. So my job is to make sure that everybody's voice is heard, mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody feels safe and comfortable, that Vermonters have access and care very much because they care very much about the work we're doing. So we wanna make sure that um, they get to have a voice and are involved as well and can follow the work that we're doing. So, and, and you know, on top of all of that, uh, I, uh, my job is also to make sure that people feel um, feel, uh, 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 what's the word I'm trying to say? Uh, not just safe, but they're, but they feel included in the process in a way that isn't overwhelming for them because this change is gonna be really significant, especially for new members coming in. And it, it is, there's so many pulls on us all the time. And, and when you come in as a new legislator, and my focus right now really is on new members entering the building uh, or, virtual building. Um, I want to make sure that they know that there are times when you actually do have to say no. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can't attend that meeting or that caucus or whatever. So there's so many things pulling at you. So, and, and, and on top of that, trying to make sure that we're staying focused on our, on our priorities, our priority goals. And, and in fact, we're still developing all of our priority goals. So those are the, those are the draws that we're doing, but COVID has shifted everything for us. And mm -hmm. we just need to make sure that we move forward so that we're, we come out on the other side of this and able to operate effectively. Mm -hmm. I wonder if for our listeners, you could each explain what the Speaker of the House and what the Majority Leader actually do and how it works. Because it's very possible that there are people that are watching or listening to our show that don't understand that sort of, um, it probably feels like my new show to them, even though it doesn't to us. 
Well, that is a great question. So the Speaker of the House presides over the House chamber and is in charge of the flow of bills. So when a bill is introduced, it's up to the discretion of the Speaker what committee that bill is assigned to. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the Speaker is also um, charged with forming committees. And so the Speaker does have the authority to change committee uh, names, uh, the number of people who serve on a committee or the portfolio of policies that and issue uh, that those, those committees cover. Uh, we also work, the speaker also works with the, cl the clerk of the house to ensure that we have um, the flow of the, the bills and that the, the, the bills are going to the right place at the right time. <laughs> sort of the administrative side of legislating and also is, is the voice of the house. And so uh, that means not only negotiating and coordinating with the Senate, but the administration as well. Thank you, Joe. How about the majority leader? Great, uh, great question as well. And um, I'll just say the majority leader is actually responsible for uh, supporting the speaker uh, with program development, uh, policy formation, um, policy decisions. Where the, the majority leader is the spokesperson for the caucus, uh, I will be managing caucus communications that we um, provide both within the, within the um, body and outside of the body. Um, I coordinate with the coalitions that we have, that we all enjoy um, and, and building those coalitions. And I'm also uh, the lead of our electoral program, which is, you know, is a big part of the work we do as well. So that's essentially what I do as the majority leader. And I'm also, I'm gonna follow up with just what I said. As the whip in the last two years, I got to know our, um, individual members really well. You get to speak to them a lot and getting to know them is really important to me. So that's really part of the job that I do in making sure that everybody's well, everybody's feeling, um, you know, comfortable in the role they're in. And I want to always make sure that people have um, clear communication and um, a clear understanding of what their roles and responsibilities are, both to themselves and to um, everybody they represent. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So <clears throat> I'm curious, I want to circle back to something you had said, Jill, about uh, creating a recovery plan that works for everyone. And I'm curious, and any one of you can jump in on this. Are we as a state with this pandemic at a recovery point? Or how much of the state is still in crisis? And will you have to balance those two, because those are different kind of needs and approaches. That's a great question, Olga. I mean, I, I do think that there are people who are starting recovery and that there are those who are absolutely still in crisis. Uh, just two days ago, uh, I got a, an email from a constituent who lost their home um, to an electrical fire, their apartment, and we're staying at a hotel. Um, and because of the housing shortage, because of COVID, it made it even harder for them to find transitional housing. So I think that it's true. We have two tracks that we are working on. Um, some of the themes that have come up um, as I've been talking with members from all corners of the state and different um, 
and different community stakeholders is that th there are some themes that we have been working on that have just um, showed that there's a greater need because of COVID. COVID has just made those needs worse. So access to broadband, huge, right? We already knew that was a problem. That was, uh, that was something that we were working on. We invested uh, CRF money into those. Um, so much more work to be done. Uh, access to high quality, affordable childcare. Um, I'm still coming in when I can in, in my COVID bubble to help out with childcare. Um, it is, again, it is a, it's a huge need across this state. What, whatever your zip code is, that is, a, that is a challenge that families face. And then when it comes to housing, like I mentioned, housing continues to be a challenge for people to afford and to have safe housing. Um, it, well, it doesn't mean anything to have a, a, a affordable place to live if it's not safe. So um, those are some of the themes that I'm hearing as I talk to, um, to, to Vermonters across the state. And I will just say, you know, if I can take this moment just to give a shout out to our amazing frontline workers who are just, they have been doing this for what feels like years at this point, um, but they are showing up every day doing the work to keep us safe and to help us through this recovery. And I am just so proud and grateful to them and just want them to know that we have, we have your back. Thanks, Thank you. We've been um, pretty much every week on the Montpelier Happy Hour. We keep on coming back almost by accident <laughs> to the theme of all the cracks widened, all yeah. of the things that we are seeing that we needed, we knew we needed before. And it's really exciting that so many more, like so many more people, so many more Vermonters are aware of the challenges that their neighbors face. And so it does feel like there are such opportunities for a recovery that's even, you know, can make us stronger than we were before. Mm -hmm. Emily, if I could just follow on that. It, yeah. One of the things that I've noticed so much, and I, I've mentioned this to other people before, and, and when I mention it, I get such amazing, solid feedback from people saying the same thing. There have been, there has been an outpouring in each one of our communities in a way that I have never seen. I've lived in Vermont my whole life. I, I was born here. I've lived here my whole life. And I've never seen such an outpouring of support for community members, for family members, for across, you know, regional organizations. There, it has really been heartening to watch that. And, and it's really notable that people are stepping up because the need is there and that's what we do. Well, we, we often pride ourselves on being Vermonters and being, but you know, this is a really good thing that we're doing. And I am so grateful. I represent the town of Marlboro and the Marlboro Community Center has pulled together and they're providing all sorts of resources for the community, making sure that there's communication between those they don't necessarily always communicate with, reaching out. I just, and that's just one example of so many and, and it's, feels really good to watch that happen. Yeah, Thank I remember you. after Irene, people were, um, yeah. and I lived up in Burlington for a really short time, but it was during Irene and it didn't really impact Burlington all that much compared to um, the rest of the state. And I would come down here to visit and to see how, like really the love and care that people were giving for each other. And I, and as you read sort of other chronicles, you know, Rebecca Solnit wrote a great book about those kinds of catastrophes and how people come together. And I've always sort of like wondered, like, can we do it in a sustained way, mm -hmm. right? Like how do you sustain that outpouring of caring and connection? And we've proven that we can do that now in Vermont, that we can do it across months and months and months and maybe continue to carry that forward into the future. It's really cool. 
It is really something. It is really special. And I think now with this winter weather, it brings us a new challenge. And I think that the new challenge of lots and lots of snow, you know, will bring maybe even a renewed effort um, with people transitioning into the winter season. And just, you know, I'm already seeing the shared uh, responsibility of snow clearing and people checking in on one another. Mm-hmm. special especially with the holidays coming yes mm-hmm. the so, holiday month. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings me to another kind of curiosity question I've been sitting with as Emily and I have been doing this show as she mentioned we keep coming back to that theme of COVID didn't create any new crises in many ways it just you know magnified the ones that already exist And, you know, as we go forward into recovery, one thing I feel at least we're going to need is creativity and new problem solving and perhaps even changing how we, we use resources and that sort of thing. At the same time, when people have been struggling and they're kind of in survival mode, things like creativity and risks and, and using resources in new ways can be scary. So have either of you had a chance to think about, and, and you, Emily um, Kornheiser, too, since you will be up in Montpelier virtu- virtually, Montpelier in quotes, have you given thought about how, um, how we're going to bring people along and keep that sense of caring, even through some of the scary times when we bump up against our own survival needs? Oh, I think that's a great, that is a great question. I think that a lot of it is us modeling that behavior of when we're having a tough time, when we're having tough conversations to take a break, to grab some virtual food together, to check in um, and making sure that we're all doing okay. Um, You know, I was just the other day thinking about, you know, doing a listening tour. across, um, across the state virtually. (laughs) Um, I said that the other day, I was going to go on a listening tour and someone was like, that sounds dangerous. And (laughs) I have to just keep on remembering to say that everything is virtual, um, at this point, (laughs) but I think it is really important to keep in touch with people and keep open lines of communication and know that for me, the speaker's office will, you know, we have an open door policy and that, Um, It's just critical that, you know, as I said, we need to create a plan that leaves no one behind and that we're making sure everyone is at that virtual policy table um, because there's there's too much at risk. And so I think that's what we just need to focus on. And I love I love that idea of a listening tour. And and it is something that we're going to celebrate the things right that we're forced into, which is. Um, gone virtual. Jill can do a listening tour right from Burlington virtually, and we can include people from all over the state in a way that you know might have been more challenging in the past. This is still challenging. I don't want to say that everybody has access to um, any kind of virtual event, so I always try to be really mindful of that. Who are we missing when we offer these virtual events? And and so that's a constant for us all the time. Um, but I I love the idea of that because frankly. Uh, all parts of the state aren't exactly the same. And I think it's really important for us to stay focused on that. There are regions that really have different needs than other regions and different um, focus than other regions. And so we really need to make sure that we're um, doing that 
that uh, listening everywhere across the state. I think that's truly important. And I appreciate that, Jill, that you have that focus as well. I think um, last year, as we sort of moved virtual, we were all in such deep learning mode about new technologies and how to be inside whatever spaces we were in with whomever we were in those spaces with and um, what having a conversation in Zoom felt like and where our boundaries were. And when we're sort of in the midst of learning a new skill, it's really hard to do our sort of usual tough talking, creative thinking, all of that stuff. And so I'm hopeful that as most of our members have really gotten a lot more comfortable with the technology quite quickly, um, that we are going to be able to sort of move out of that learning mode and move into our usual learning mode, which is about learning what's you know best for Vermonters, what policies work, um, what's happening, and how to sort of solve problems, that there is more space now that we're out of just like constant, where's the mute button? I don't know how to do this. I lost <laughs> my screen. What's going on? Can you hear me? Um, and it's really, it's been amazing to watch a very, you know, maybe not as diverse as Vermont, but a very diverse group of legislators dive in and learn these new sort of, you know, office 21st century skills. It's really cool. And, and because of that, Emily, we're much more able to train the new members that were just elected. So we can do that much more efficiently, the training for them to be able to step right in. And honestly, I will just say, having met many of the new members that are coming in, in all parties coming into the, to the General Assembly, they are amazingly skilled already. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, right up, they're, they're going to catch up with us really quickly on the platforms that we use. And, and they're going to be trained really quickly and step up and ready to move. Mm -hmm. You know, Olga, one thing that um, has come out of remote legislating that I think is really, really fantastic is the openness and transparency and the ability mm -hmm. to bring more people into the conversation. You know, before um, we recorded committee meetings so that you would have to like call and get the CD um, or the thumb drive to listen to the meeting. And now you can just hop on YouTube and watch whatever meeting. And I just think the number of barriers that we have torn down in order for people to be able to participate um, has, has been incredible. And uh, even just thinking about holding a hearing and someone having to find childcare and drive two miles to Montpelier, now they're hopping on, you know, they're hopping on Zoom, they're hopping on YouTube. And I just think that, um, that is something incredible. We've gotten great feedback about it. And it's something that we're going to continue to do moving forward, because I just think it was so good for transparency in government. And, no, the and the longer we do it, the more people are learning about it. So yeah. um, the Brattleboro delegation had a meeting with some constituents the other day, and they were saying that they feel sort of um, they didn't understand how much access they now had. They didn't know about the YouTube. And when we told them about it, they're like, well, we can't visit you in the state house anymore. I'm like, how often did you visit in the state house? It was two hours away. <laughs> like now you can do it from your living room. And they were so excited to both hear about the YouTube and hear about how much easier it is to testify. Because before we would accept testimony via phone, but the person on the phone was always at sort of a disadvantage when everyone else was in the room together. Mm -hmm. And now that really levels the playing field of folks who are sort of more in the Montpelier nexus and people who are paid for, you know, to testify regularly. And then folks from the outlying regions are just, you know, citizen advocates. It's really, 
it's very exciting. And you know what, we're going to have to be really careful about the, the transition when we get into recovery. How mm-hmm. do we include that and make mm-hmm. not just go back into our same groove as we always were? I mean, this is true of everything when you move from one transition to another, you got to make sure you bring along the good parts with you to the to the new method of operating. And we're going to have to try to find a way to meld the two. And we will. Mm-hmm. So we have just about five minutes before we need to go go to break. So I'd love to touch in with all three of you about, you know, in this COVID pandemic and in all these transitions you've gone through with Zoom and new technology and connecting to people in new ways. I'm curious, have you learned anything about either Vermont or about your role as a lawmaker that is new for you is kind of a learning curve that may influence how you move into the new biennium. Wow. That is a great question. Oh God. I mean, I think that um, as things were moving so quickly, quickly during the COVID session, I, I really thought that, you know, everybody was, um, able to keep up and like just on it. And as I started to connect with people to check in, it was clear that everyone was so overwhelmed (laughs) and that they were either struggling with the amount of constituent work happening or um, just having challenges governing because they were having childcare issues. And so, um, What's going to be important to me as we move into this next legislative session is really doing a lot of um, checking in with individual members to make sure they have everything they need to be successful, Um, making sure that we have a really consistent legislative schedule that has time carved in for constituent work and for Uh, time to work on legislation as we move forward through this process. You know, the reality is, is that governing online just takes more time. You know, I've been starting to tell people that it's the remote, remote governing, there's like a 25% bump and Mm -hmm. to do, you know, legislation, Uh, the time to take testimony, the time to uh, fully understand all sides of the arguments for the bill, for it to move through the legislative process to for through votes. Um, It just takes more time. And so for me, you know, it's more communication, more clarity in the schedule, um, and patience, uh, because it's just different when we're governing remotely, and just acknowledging that. And some context for listeners about that, because they might not realize. So when we are governing in real life, the most of us are in Montpelier full time for those four days. And that means that essentially, we just give ourselves over to whatever happens. Um, We have no, very few of us have any expectations that we'll make any sort of permanent plans between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. on any given day, Tuesday through Friday. And, you know, meetings come up and you just flow from one meeting to the next and one thing that needs to get done to the next and then, you know, crash on Friday night. And, but when you're at home, either surrounded by your family or by yourself and needing to feed yourself, um, whatever it is, it's the expectation of sort of a schedule and boundaries to that become really, really important because you can't give yourself over to the same way your family might notice that you exist or um, (laughs) you might need to actually like defrost food to cook it, whatever it is. Um, 
you might need to go get wood for your wood stove. And so those kinds of like real life concerns really, I really appreciate that you sort of named that need for a schedule in a way we really didn't, don't need it when we're in real life. Yeah. And because of that, um, we're, we're, I, that's a part of the communications that I think are so important. I tell members all the time, don't hesitate to ask for help. Don't hesitate to say to us, I don't know how to navigate this because I'm going to tell you, uh, most legislators, they're pretty, you know, um, they're, they're pretty self-reliant in many ways. And there's a lot of new going on right now. And I'm not talking about just new members here. I'm talking about members who, as, as Emily said, we're really used to a certain way of operating. And this is new for everyone. And people don't like to ask for help. We, they just don't. And I keep saying, if you've got a question, ask it. You know, make sure that you come to leadership, you go to your committee chair, you do whatever it takes, but make sure you ask because there's help here for you. We're going to navigate it together. That's we're also we're also working on Emily and Jill learning to ask for help. I think they're both getting better at it too. Yeah, we don't do that well. Leaders need to ask for help too. Um, yeah, the one thing that I've actually learned, which is a little more personal, and it's definitely about how I'm going to be able to take care, how I'm going to take care of myself when we go back into real life, is that I'm actually an introvert, hmm. and that's okay. Um, and that I've like sort of gotten so used to faking extroversion that it exhausted me in a way that I wasn't even really quite aware of until I actually got to rest in some degree of solitude here in my endless Zoom room. Um, and so that's been really just like an interesting moment of self-realization for me. Um, and so I'm looking forward to figuring out ways to care for that part of me whenever I see real humans again. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. I'm not going to label Jill because she can label herself, but you're, you're de definitely describing me as well. <laughs> I have a feeling Jill's a little bit of that too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we all struggle with that, Emily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, for our listeners on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, Emily Long, Emily Kornheiser, and Jill Krowinski and I will return after a brief message from our underwriters. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the second half of the Popular Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us on Emily's Kornheiser's YouTube channel, as well as BCTV and Brattleboro. So I want to uh, throw it to Emily Kornheiser quickly. Let's talk about what it means to have this new leadership and kind of take, take that, Emily. What's that important for, for you? Oh, I didn't know I was going to answer this first. Um, or you I, can just frame it for them. No, 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 like. no. I'm, um, <laughs> uh, so I am just entering my second biennium. And so for me, what was like the leadership structure for the last two years is what the legislature is. Um, and so I get, and in some, you know, there's only so much that we can focus on in any given moment. And so on some level, I just accepted reality as reality. Like when Jill was just talking about um, 
shifting the number of people on committees or what the purview of each committee was. I, I knew that in the back of my mind that she could do that, but the idea that those things could shift is kind of mind boggling. Um, so to think that many more doors are open is really exciting to me. Um, and that sort of there's so much more potential for shifting. Um, I really appreciate how focused I've heard both Jill and Emily be um, lately on sort of caring for each member and what we're each doing and what we need to get our work done. I think there's sort of a long history in the legislature of some degree of, um, I think it's a combination of martyrdom and then just sort of like a legacy that this was mostly men doing men's work and there were women at home taking care of things. Mm. And as we've sort of really shift significantly who's serving. We haven't necessarily shifted the story about what the people serving need to do their work well. Mm -hmm. And so that feels really exciting. Um, I've heard from other legislators that also the workload has increased really significantly over the last few years. Um, but that hasn't, we haven't sort of had a crisis point to acknowledge that either. And so I hear that being named a lot and that's exciting. Um, it's also, for me personally, as you know, coming into my second biennium, to feel like I know Jill and Emily so well, um, and to feel like really in relationship with the folks who are making decisions, um, feels really impactful, um, both for what it means for sort of how Wyndham County will be served, um, but also for me as I navigate the work I'm doing. So those are sort of the big things for me right now. Thank you. Yeah. How about Emily Long? So, so uh, I, again, uh, thank you, Emily, for um, your perspective on that. Sometimes it's really easy to forget that we're all in our different times in, uh, in the legislature. And so the perspective of someone who's just entering their second biennium, it's not that long ago that, for, that I was in that role. And I, you know, when I went into my second biennium, it was um, a brand new speaker as well. And so I, I remember what that felt like because everything I knew about the legislature just completely changed in my mind. But, but once I got there and started doing it it, it, it just all sort of slid right into place because, you know, we are a centuries old institution <laughs> and, and things don't change rapidly in that kind of an a, a organization, an institution. So, so there are some very important things that stay the same from one to the other. One of the things I talked to Jill about when we were both, you know, considering doing these new roles was um, how much change, given everything that's going on for us right now, how much change should we try to um, adopt during this new biennium? And um, I think she, I'm not, I won't speak for Jill, she can speak for herself, but for me, it was just really important that while there were going to be some significant changes in leadership, we needed to try to keep our structure as similar as we could, our caucus structure, our, you know, the, we had shifted our, our um, caucus structure the last biennium and, and included now three assistant majority leaders instead of one. So we expanded our team a little bit to be able to increase our communications. Will you and, explain the leadership sort of the- I'd be happy to. Thank you. Yeah. So we have, you know, in the past, it was a, a majority leader, an assistant majority leader who was a whip of the house. And then we had a deputy assistant majority leader who, who whose main focus was um, working with the majority leader, assistant majority leader and dealing with the communications aspect of it. And I used to be in that position, the deputy, and then I moved into the whip. So I've, I've 
been in those positions. A couple of years ago, we changed the structure to have now three assistant majority leaders. There's still the first one, the whip. And then there's um, an assistant majority leader that is um, charged with development and strategy. So really that is trying to build our, um, our capacity to make sure that we're recognizing everyone's strengths and everyone's interests. We wanna make sure that people who are coming into the legislature, um, we, that we recognize what their goals are, what their wishes and hopes are for their constituents and for, what, uh, for, for, for Vermont, frankly. And um, then the other position is, a, is an assistant majority leader for communications, which is super critical. And maybe even, we always knew it was critical, much more critical even right now, both inside the state house and outside the state house. So those are the, that's the structure. And we've kept that structure for this biennium. And Emily, what does a whip do? It's kind of a scary <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, uh, I always, when, when I was in the position, people would always say to me, oh, you're the whip. You're the one who tells people how to vote. You know, and I'm, I always laughed at that thing. My job when I was in the position of whip uh, was always really to, help make ensure that every single member of our caucus understood the bills that were coming to the floor and to get their feedback as early as possible to make sure, you know, this, it, it really is about informing going to members early before you're even doing a count and saying to members, we've got this bill coming up. It's growing out of a committee. And are you aware of this bill, first of all, and, um, once you're aware of it, what are the things you need to know? Because early on is when you're going to have influence over legislation. Once it gets to the floor, then it's amendments and that sort of change. But so early, in, early um, interaction with bills for our caucus members is, is so important. So yes, a, a whip does count votes for when it's coming to the floor. They'll go to members and say, can you support this? That is a part of it, but it's also very much about helping members understand the legislation. What is that? Um, it's a kitchen tool that you use for like really slow cooking eggs. Like people often put them on their wood stove. See what I'm talking about? It's like an egg coddler or something like that. Is that the, is that the term that I'm thinking of? Coddler, yeah. Okay, I often think of that was sort of more your style than a whip. <laughs> like if I had to name a like tool that like I would associate that title with, it would definitely be like whatever that that sweet thing that sits on the wood stove and that's helps. That's very kind. I think that's yeah. a great analogy. What I will say <laughs> is, is um, it really is about getting to know people, honestly. That position is really about getting to know people and being able to talk to them and have, have, have a dialogue. It's not about one to the other, it's back and forth. Mm -hmm. You know, Olga, as I think about um, the new leadership coming in and building off of what Emily talked about getting to know one another and, and the, how critical it is to, to have relationships with members. The thing that I am excited about is working with your own uh, Senator Becca Ballant as, uh, in her new role as pro tem. Congratulations to Becca. You know, Becca and I have worked for four years together in our roles as majority leaders. And so I think that we are coming into a unique place where we have a strong relationship and have been sort of battle tested um, through policy debates. And I think that gives us a really great advantage coming into this legislative session together, um, starting out already know um, what, what uh, priorities we share, 
um, what's important to us, what our values are. And so I, I think that that's really exciting because in most leadership changes, that's not, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that gives us a great advantage. So I would love to, to kind of pick add on. something to that before you jump sure, in. Olga? I, you know, I, um, People who are sort of not watching state politics all that closely um, might not listen to the show, but they also might not know (laughs) that, um, you know, there's sort of, it might be like the legislature and the government is one thing and, or the governor and the legislature is another thing. But sometimes we sort of, um, when we're not our best selves, give into this sort of like sports teams thing with the Mm -hmm. House and the Senate. and House members and senators and the policies that the House, you know, because we have to work on bills together and like no one likes other people touching their stuff. <laughs> and so it becomes this like really, it can become this rivalry that can get really toxic if we don't have, you know, really skilled folks at the helm who are in relationship with each other and really invest in that collaboration. And that is, that's a really exciting part of this new biennium that we have Jill and Becca doing that together. Thank you, uh, Emily, for that clarification. What I wanted to to kind of throw to you, Jill, is if I remember correctly in your outside legislature life, if there is such a thing, you are part of, you're the executive director of Emerge Vermont. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. And that's a a program that helps recruit and train um, potential female leaders, democratic leaders, um, for leadership roles, basically. And I find it interesting because I know Becca's a graduate. Mm-hmm. Emily Kornheiser is a graduate. I don't know, Emily Long, did you go through Emerge? No, I did not. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> okay, neither did I. Neither did I. Neither I, did I. I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, nope. but, you know, I'm, I'm curious with, with kind of your ED hat on, looking at um, a shift of leadership in the legislature where right now we at least we have an all um, female uh, leadership in the House and the Senate. I'm just curious, what is what are you seeing through that lens as far as leadership, how it's shifting or not, um, that type of thing? That's a great question. So Emerge Vermont is an organization that recruits and trains uh, Democratic women to run for office and provides ongoing uh, training and support as they work through their um, electoral journey, as I'll say. And, you know, I, I would for for the reputation that Vermont has as being such a liberal state, um, we're, we have a we don't we don't we have a ways to go when it comes to empowering women um, in office. Vermont is the only state not to have sent a woman to Congress, and even in the liberal city of Burlington, Vermont, we have not had a woman serve as governor. There are still many boards and commissions across the state that are held by all men, and so. There is a great need, even though we've made some great progress, there is a great need to continue to build the pipeline of women to run for office. And, uh, you know, I am so proud that, you know, when we are able to be together in session, when we have our first joint session and 
at the podium, it, it's, it's Molly Gray, Becca Ballant, and me to just reflect that we're all Emerge alums and to show the, that the investment in the program and supporting women um, really makes a difference. And so Molly Gray is the first Emerge alum to win statewide office. Uh, and she's not, she's not going to be the last. And so I think especially um, in this environment, uh, when resources are so scarce, you know, Madeline Cunanoy says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, that we're um, making sure that we have women at the decision-making table to ensure that um, no one's being left behind. When we look at this recovery, um, you know, women in the workforce are taking a great hit, having to decide whether to quit their jobs and take care of their kids, how they're going to manage their career, uh, juggling the needs of the family. And it's, it's real. Um, and it's, it, it is that when I look at the numbers, it is a growing, growing problem and it really concerns me. And so um, that's why I just think that the work that we do at Emerge to support and empower women is so important, especially right now. You know, the majority of women who left the workforce in September, the first month that sort of school, whatever school is right now, restarted, was women. Um, mm -hmm. And to think that the folks in leadership and decision-making roles, um, that those numbers will resonate with them makes a really big difference for how we develop policy. It's really, you know, um, I'm not of the school that being a woman makes me sort of essentially magically a better leader. Like I'm somehow more like compassionate and magical and a better collaborator. I don't, I know that some people believe that I absolutely don't. But what I do think is it makes my life experience makes me notice things. Mm -hmm. And being a woman, I notice things that are different than um, especially my sort of white male Christian colleagues. And so that that makes a difference for policy. And it's not just, you know, the chairs, um, it's all of the leadership. It's a lot of the chairs of our money committees. It's, um, you know, even, and not emerge alum, but the minority leaders for both the progressive party and the Republican party are both women too. And so it's really, it's an, it's an interesting way of making, of making progress that we're keeping on, you know, that we're aiming through, working through. Mm-hmm. Emily, I, I, the fact that you brought that up, I, it, I was going to say the same thing. The, it, it has been very to watch the shift in the job market and the number of women who have left the, their, their jobs in, in the last number of months. And this isn't just Vermont, this is nationally. And it's a huge concern, I think. And I, I, I do appreciate what you just said, Emily, about it. And I think we need to stay focused on it. There, there is a responsibility, I think, for women leaders to, to realize that they are, their job is to be role models for those who are, I have a daughter and I have a three-year-old granddaughter. And I, I cannot wait for the moment when we can actually get ourselves back together in person so I can bring her to the state house and let her meet our, our speaker, who is a woman, our pro tem, who is a woman, you know, the leaders that we have, these are our role models and we need to make sure that we're doing that. So we don't see what has happened over the last few months continue. There, there cannot be that, that type of um, world that we live in. We should all be um, focused on how we support women in the workplace because that's who we are. We're women in the workplace. And it's not just, um, you know, there's the unemployment rate, which I think is very related to sort of, um, 
folks leaving because of school and yeah. service jobs and a bunch of other things like that. There's also a really interesting study about female academics mm-hmm. and the shift in publishing. I don't know if you've both seen this. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So women, there was a study um, a couple months ago that came out and academics publishing rates by gender, um, men's publishing rate has actually gone up since the pandemic and women's publishing rate has like absolutely bottomed out since the pandemic. Hmm. And, you know, you see studies of, um, you know, who, who gets the private office in the house um, and who's sort of working in the living room and the kitchen in, you know, couples that are sort of staying at home working. So it's absolutely like really wide across class lines and professions that we're seeing this gap. Mm-hmm. Um. In the interest of time, I want to pivot a little bit because you're talking about policy now and how to build new policy. And I'm curious, you know, as we're going into this new biennium, as we're going into hopefully a recovery period, although, as I've said before, it feels like most of 2020 has been in air quotes, school, legislative meetings, (laughs) no, and we'll see if those air quotes continue into 2021. What would you like to see each of you in recovery? Like what new policy, what new allocation of resources would you like to see so that we do have a recovery that leaves no one behind? Yeah, that is a great question. You know, as I think about what that recovery looks like, as I mentioned, you know, it's, it's broadband access to high quality and affordable childcare and housing. But I think the theme that we need to be thinking about as we make those decisions and and thinking about who's at the table and who's not at the table is just thinking about um, social equity and racial racial justice. And, you know, we know that this um, pandemic is having a very big impact on people of color. And so I think that we can't lose sight of when we're thinking about, uh, stimulus or recovery packages for small business. What about women and, and people of color? With When we're talking about access to information about vaccines, are we translating all the information so that all, um, all Vermonters, no matter what language they speak, have equal access to information? So uh, that's something that's really important to me as we work through this recovery. And I couldn't agree more with that, but I also want to say that while we're we're focusing on the needs and, and the immediate needs of Vermonters, which we need to do, the, what, what Jill mentioned about those priorities that are that have popped up, they certainly have popped us up for us as a as a um, caucus, a democratic caucus. We those are really important issues for us. But we also need to make sure that we're not only focused on the immediate needs, but that we're focusing on long-term needs. Mm-hmm. And so much of what we have to do in our committees, in, in our conversations with our constituents, in our regional conversations, in our rural versus urban, uh, whatever is urban in Vermont. Um, <laughs> we, we, we really need to say, what does this mean for us long-term? This is not just a, an immediate meeting the immediate needs, not to say we don't focus on the immediate needs of Vermonters because that is our job. We must mm-hmm. do that. But keep in mind that this has got to be a long-term recovery because this isn't something we're going to get over really quickly. And so we need to focus on the long-term. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I want to appreciate that Emily put urban and air quotes, because I think a lot of the other members of the legislature think of me as representing an urban place. And I like 
live on a dirt road and there are farms all around me. Mm. So it's, and I have no cell phone service at all. Mm. So it's, um, it's really important to remember that the vast majority of us, even if we're from, you know, whatever people consider a city like Rattleboro. Um, Can I just say, usually I really share some concerns. R- rural versus less rural. Yes. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's a really much better way to name it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like you know, like even in Burlington, you can like bike to a farm. It's really, and you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, really similar priorities. I really, want to take the opportunity of the sort of places that our um, state government needs strengthening that more people have become aware of. Um, so like continuing to beat the drum of like really effective government mm-hmm. and governance, you know, the unemployment insurance system and how important it is that we have really solid systems in place for when we need them. And it's really hard to remember that when we don't need them. Mm-hmm. And so really looking forward to sort of strengthening the unemployment system. There's aspects of the childcare system that are like way um, sort of geekier and more boring, but like IT matters. Um, Really appreciating how, you know, having the exchange, the healthcare exchange um, be an open enrollment through the whole pandemic um, and saying like, what did we learn about that that we might want to carry into the future? Um, So really like reviewing sort of lessons learned for what did work during this time um, and what made a difference for Vermonters and carrying that through, you know, um, food access Mm -hmm. and what we know about kids and hunger um, feels really huge and how we sort of shifted our, both our charitable food system and sort of our formal um, benefit food system, I think is really important and some stuff that we want to, might want to carry through the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, like Jill said, essential workers and how we both protect them and strengthen um, both the rights and the benefits that they get. Thank you. So I'm going to add one more thing that I would love to see more named in our conversations. And then I have a question, but what I would love to see named in the conversations, I, because we have an aging population and so many of us are sandwiched between caring for our kids right now and caring for our elders, Um, I would love to see elder care and resources for elders named a little more specifically in a lot of our conversations. Um, And then finally, um, we have just about five minutes left. What about how much does what the federal government um, is doing and with the funding ending at the current COVID funding ending on the 31st, what impact does that have? Uh, well, I will just say that watching uh, what's happening in Washington right, Washington right now is extremely frustrating and concerning. <laughs> Not only are they debating the pandemic relief bill, at the same time, they are debating our country's budget. And the deadline is tonight for the budget. So not only are we waiting for information about what relief we can get from a pandemic package, but also we might have a government shutdown again. And so those two things, um, they, you know, have impacts for us in Vermont. And I think that, you know, I'm proud of our federal delegation who are doing a great job advocating for Vermont. You know, we wouldn't be where we are today in our recovery if it wasn't for what Senator Leahy was able to achieve for us for a small state minimum. Um, That was amazing. But 
you know, when we talk about all these different policy areas and what we want to achieve, they are absolutely tied to what pandemic relief funds we are able to get and how we prioritize um, these policy investments and, and bridges to get us through this pandemic. So uh, I'm really concerned about that. And on top of that, um, the vaccine distribution also is getting tied up in Washington, uh, which is another serious problem. So I just think that as we work on planning and prioritizing for this upcoming session, um, we just need to know that all of those decisions will be impacted by what happens in Washington. And so um, that is something that is absolutely keeping me up at night right now. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Um, Emily Kornheiser, Emily Long, any last minute thoughts before we let you go for the day? I think that was all very well said. Yeah, yeah. I echo everything Jill just said. It's mm -hmm. so important. I do have a toast though. Oh, fantastic. We always toast at the end of the, the happy hour because it wouldn't be a we happy used hour. To, yeah, we used to have signature cocktails when we recorded later in the day and then we were sort of faking it at eight in the morning and it's just got more and more ridiculous. So now we just toast our coffee cups. That's the best we can do. Oh, I love that. So um, my mug, which might be backwards for viewers, says vote yeah. for mama. We can see it. It's right. You can, it's okay, great. Good. It's backwards for me. So I'm glad. Um, and so just want to toast to the incredible new powerful female leadership that we are seeing in the Vermont legislature and so glad to work with you all. Thank you. Right back at you, Emily. Here, here. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Olga, for having us. Thank you, Jill Prowinski, for joining us. Thank you, Emily Long. And of course, as always, Emily Kornheiser. You can find them on Peel Your Happy Hour at 2 p.m. on Fridays on WVEW, as well as YouTube and BCTV. Hey, everyone going into 2021, happy new year and may it be better than 2020. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye.